Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. To be here, thank thank Ross and the team for the privilege of being here. I was I was actually uh, scheduled to be here for this meeting last year. Some oh, was it a something called COVID uh, <laughs> happened and uh, plans changed. How many of you've had some plans change in the last year? Yeah, okay, three of you. Yeah, okay, that's cool. So for those of you that don't know, <laughs> um, yeah. It's been it's a crazy crazy time. Um, how many of you? How many of you? Uh, quite seriously, how many of you in your life or church life stuff has been affected by COVID? Give me just give me a wave this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the world has changed. By the by the way, and uh, Ross mentioned maybe about update. Was there anything particular you just wanted me to mention? Just. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, just around the COVID restrictions. So what many people don't know, and I will say this, and I I was telling Ross and Mary this uh, and a couple of the guys this morning, I get, and sorry if you are one of those people, but I'll apologise. I'm sorry, but... (laughs) you know when someone says, listen, I don't mean to offend you, you know you're about to be offended. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so when, it, when it comes to some of this stuff, and I, I do get a little ticked off, uh, so I can just get on my soapbox for a moment, <laughs> I do get ticked off with some Christians putting posts on social media, absolutely slamming the church and church leaders for not standing up or for not, you know, bah, 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 bah. Those posts are totally ignorant. So let me, and I can say that, and I can't speak for all over our country, but I certainly know for Queensland. And I've been privileged, I suppose, um, but certainly to be able to work in the space uh, with heads of church. I have had the privilege for the last 12 years to sit at the heads of church's table in Brisbane, representing our movement, ACC. Uh, we meet at the Catholic Archbishop's residence every two months. And we spend two or three hours together. Uh, many of us have become great friends. And over the past few years, we've worked together on many, many things. So <clears throat> RI in school, some of you may not be aware, two or three years ago, this time of year, three years ago, we were on the edge of RI disappearing out of our schools. But heads of churches pulled together. We formed an organisation, a peak body. We put in a structure. I serve on the, the board of that uh, with some highly qualified people represent the government. RI is flourishing. We just got funding from a Christian organisation in the country to, like, and I took significant funding. Um, and that's because churches are working together and representing the government. You wouldn't have RI in state schools if it wasn't for that. Let me tell you, just, and I could... I could talk about many things over even the last few years. We don't get a win on everything, but some things we do. I've personally led numbers of delegations to government, uh, to health particularly, and been in meetings with the Chief Health Officer and Deputy Chief Health Officer over the last 18 months. So <clears throat> a week ago, a little over a week and a half ago, when the December 17 rules were handed down as to what will happen on December 17, I was going, oh my goodness, what's what? And I'm looking for churches. 
places of worship um, in, in the regulations because effectively, as you know, regardless of your view on vaccination and all those things, um, the big issue for us is how this stuff impacts on us as a church and churches. And uh, churches wasn't listed. So we then managed to, <clears throat> to get inside information out of the Premier's department and then finally out of health that um, we were deliberately not listed because there are no restrictions in terms of vaccinated or unvaccinated attending church post 17 December. Um, there's no, because, and here's the backstory. The reason that's happened is because a number of us, uh, and actually here's the amazing thing, um, that last meeting also included uh, Muslim and Buddhist people. Uh, who've actually been very helpful in this, <laughs> uh, some of their stuff. But <clears throat> we met with the Deputy Chief Health Officer and one of the questions that was asked, and I asked actually, was, you know, is the government planning a vaccine passport? Which effectively is what's being introduced on December 17. Um, and the response was that, well, it's not in the government, or certainly for churches, um, it's not in the government's plan. I said, that's good because that would be a deal breaker. And she said back to me, she said, what do you mean a deal breaker? I said, well, so the church community has been incredibly cooperative, incredibly compliant, and great citizens in supporting what's been going on. But I said, if there were to be a vaccine mandate or a passport introduced that unvaccinated couldn't attend church, that would be a deal breaker. There would be massive pushback. And I just talked about the history of the church being open to everybody. And so, and obviously others spoke into that as well. And so, and I know talking with some of my denominational friends, even in the last week, there's no question that it was our meetings with the health office, chief health officer that procured that exemption. So I say that to let you know, and I, I've said this to a couple of churches recently and leaders, just because something is not in social media or on Channel 7 at 6 o'clock news doesn't mean that churches are not representing the government. And this is a season in which, as church leaders, we have got to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And I see some Christians kind of getting that all mixed up. <laughs> And, uh, and not helping the cause. So be wise. Whatever your view on stuff is, just, just be wise in your posts and understand that there's a lot of stuff going on that we don't put on social media. We don't put on Channel 7 News or whatever it might be, uh, but there's a lot of work going on behind, behind the scenes. So, yeah, there you go. So one of the scriptures that has uh, really been, uh, and, and it's a scripture that you would all know incredibly well, but has really resonated strongly in my heart over this during this year, is First Chronicles 12.32, which simply says, talks about the sons of the men of Issachar. First Chronicles 12.32, and it says about these guys that they had understanding of the times and knew what Israel should do. Wow, very interesting. By the way, this was a time of upheaval when this verse was written. It was a time when, when uh, people were gathering around David to see the ultimate fulfillment, wanted to see him made king. 
So there was a time of upheaval and change going on. And in the midst of all that, we read about the sons of Issachar, and there were 200 of them, in fact. These were leaders. They had understanding of the times. And they knew, because of that, they knew what Israel should do. And I want to say to you as leaders today, if ever there's a time when we as leaders in the church of Jesus Christ, and we are awesomely privileged to be whatever the role is, we need to have understanding of the time so that we know what the church should do. We know what the church should do. I think it's without question that this past couple of years, past 18 months or so, has been the most disruptive and challenging and unsettling experience of any living generation. The pandemic and its impact I think has exposed how fragile and how vulnerable our social and economic support structures are that underpin so much of our daily lives. And as disappointing as it may be for some of you, the world will not go back to what it was. There are some things when stuff happens that change forever. 9-11, as it's become colloquially known, 9-11, 20 years ago. We just recently, you know, September, we celebrated that 20-year anniversary, hard to believe. How many of you remember where you were? Yeah. yeah, wow. 20 years ago, John Howard was Prime Minister. Petrol was 84.4 cents a litre. <laughs> um, but have you know the world never went back? I remember walking, I was on a flight with uh, Pastor Rod Plummer in the late, late 90s uh, to Thailand or somewhere and... Um, uh, and the pilot was an Aussie, was, I think it was Singapore Airlines. And it was back in the day when, before 9-11, when a pilot would walk back down through the cabin and say hello to passengers. <laughs> what a bizarre time. Um, how many of you know that's never going to happen again? And in fact, I got invited, he stopped and talked to us, he was due to retire in six weeks, and he stopped and talked to Rod and I, and uh, invited us one at a time. I ended up with 30 minutes up in the cockpit of the 747 as we were on approach to Singapore. I mean, that's... How many know that era's changed? <laughs> like, you even look at the, the door to the cockpit and you, you're in trouble these days. It's, it's a crazy world. Long-term planning used to be five years, now it's five weeks. If you... <laughs> But here's an, interesting, here's an interesting thought. COVID itself has brought and changed many things, but it's not changed everything. What it has done is accelerated many trends that were already happening. Um, and it's been like the effect of an earthquake where when there's an earthquake, the tectonic plates shift and, and as a result, the landscape changes. And the landscape is changing. Whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, the landscape has changed, the world has changed globally, it's changed economically, socially, politically. And if we think that all that change is not going to have impact on the church, then you're dreaming. <laughs> you're dreaming. I've had... Um, Opportunity, particularly over the last number of years, to be more involved both in political arenas and business and legal arenas and cross-denominational, as I was talking about. And um, <clears throat> our world is changing. You know, so many of just the sociological changes and the values. What a change. 
what a massive drift there has been from what our culture was, was built on. But, but his, and, and by the way, can I just say that for all the issues and the uncertainty we face, and we live in incredibly uncertain times, we still live in the best country. There's no other country I'd rather be in in the world right now than Australia. You could have woken up in Afghanistan this morning. <laughs> or to be honest, many other countries in the world. Um, and I, I was on a Zoom, business coaching Zoom conference, an international one, a couple of months ago, talking with people in Kenya and South Africa and wherever else. And, and oh my goodness, I tell you, we, we, we don't know the half of it. We are so fortunate. I've got friends in those countries who've died of COVID, you know. And um, so we are very blessed and fortunate. I feel for our friends in Victoria particularly and even people in New South Wales. Uh, we have, for all the stuff, and we've all been affected one way or another, but, but we've been isolated and insulated to a large degree from a lot of the stuff. However, it will wash through. And it's already having massive impact sociologically, you know, economically. I mean, uh, again, you know, for the, Ross and I were talking, and Mary and I were talking about this yesterday in terms of property, particularly south, anywhere on the coastal, you know, uh, coast of Queensland, but even some of the regional areas like Kingaroy and Toowoomba and Stanthorpe, property values are going through the roof. I mean, there's just massive change happening, and that's good if you own property. Um, those of you who don't, we'll take up an offering. <laughs> but in the midst of all the uncertainty, in the midst of all the stuff and the changes that are happening, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The gospel, the message, by the way, you know gospel means... That'll be a revelation for some of you, maybe. But gospel means good news. How many of you know if ever there's a time when people need good news... It's right now, in times of darkness, in times of uncertainty. And here's the truth, that the good news of the gospel was designed to connect with and intersect with every culture and every circumstance in every time and in every, every era. The message never changes. The mission never changes. The presence of God never changes. The power of God never changes. His love, his mercy are consistent, never change, and if ever that's needed. It's now. So rather than lament, and we do, I lament a lost era. I'm so glad I grew up in the era that I did. There was an innocence. You know, I grew up in a country town. And seriously, we'd go to church Sunday night, leave, leave the doors and the house open in summer. Like break, break in? You'd pull up in the main street. You'd go pop into the shop. You'd leave the keys in the car. Wow. Good luck with that now, <laughs> unless you want to get rid of your car. Um, we have to learn, as we said, the message never changes. But the world that we're engaging with is changing. For those of us in church world and who've been in church for a long time, the danger is that we can just stay locked in. We're having a great time. We're on the love boat cruise to heaven. That's wonderful. But that's not why we're here. We're here to touch and reach a world that's in darkness and despair and that's hurting. And so we have to get smarter even about the ways we engage with this world. And maybe what worked 20 years ago does not work today or as effectively. 
it was the great William Booth that talked about the, the danger of the church becoming an island of irrelevance in a sea of despair. Wow. That's a great picture, isn't it? Wow, wow that's, that's incredible imagery. And of course, in the day, William Booth, who, as you know, was the founder of the Salvation Army, um, did some radical stuff in terms of the construct of church as it had been known and took bands in the street playing pub tunes and, you know, changed lyrics and like absolutely out-of-the-box stuff. They got stoned, and I'm not talking about drugs, they got stoned <laughs> by church people who hated what they were doing and thought it was an absolute travesty of, wow. yeah. But, what, and it, but he was right. The danger of the church becoming an island of irrelevance in a sea of despair. And the great challenge for us and many of us here, and I, you know, I was thinking, it's so wonderful. I was talking with Errol this morning and Brian and Brian and Marilyn there and, and obviously you know, Ross and Mary. And there's many of us and others of you here this morning We've been around for a few years, and which is awesome. We've 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 survived. <laughs> been in ministry and survived, and hasn't really had any major effect on me. <laughs> and that's awesome. But but here's the truth: if we don't engage the next generation, there's our challenge. And the next generation, and there's, some, and there's younger ones amongst us today, but I'll tell you, the younger generation coming through, and you, and you look at, say, the 20s and, and, say, 20s to 30s, particularly if they're, they're enmeshed and, and permeated in the culture of the world in which we live. I'll tell you, you know, there's um, trend, there's great concern in some churches in the States at the moment. <coughs> Excuse me. There's this trend of um because in woke culture everything is kind of summed up by an emotive slogan so remember the gay marriage debate love is love it's hard to argue against that we've lost the ability to debate and and talk about legitimate issues in political space to be honest and woke culture shuts all that down and but the challenge is that that kind of feeling where everything's just based on an emotive statement is becoming perm is increasingly permeating the thinking of the younger generation, particularly if they go to uni. It's in the media all the time. So we now have many, in, and this is a big concern in the States, many young people who are drifting towards in their theology, a form of, it's, it's what we could call a form of universalism. Universalism, every way leads to God, doesn't matter, you know. This is like a new form of universalism that where these young people still believe in Jesus, but everybody's going to make it. So it doesn't really matter what you do, because God's a God of love, and everybody's going to make it. Now, how many of you know that doesn't line up? Yeah, and, and again, as I was talking to a good friend of mine from overseas this week, so that, that devalues Jesus. Like, what was the point of his coming? Yeah. Now, again, again, many of us grew up in an era of incredible legalism and the bondage of that, and I thank God we've been freed with that, not, you know, from that and... And uh, some of the stuff, some of you ladies should be wearing hats. Um, 
If you're wearing makeup, Jezebel. Um, anyway. <laughs> but if the barn needs painting, you paint the barn, hey. Um, I don't mean that personally for you, you know, but. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that our culture has shifted away from some of that legalism because at the end of the day, it's not behavior modification, it's change of heart, it's heart transformation. But true heart transformation will result in behavior being changed. That's, we've got to get that around the right way. So rules and regulations don't, that doesn't change people's hearts. Having said that, I say all that just to come back to the point I was making, that there are trends that are happening in our world and it's hard for some of us who, to get our heads around this stuff. But we need to really look at how we engage another generation. How we engage our community in, in the change that's even happening now yeah. and that's happened. We, we've gone. So the church used to be accused of being moralizers. How many of you know, like, we're often oh, moralizers, telling people how to live their life, you know, and blah, blah, blah. Well, we actually have new moralizers in today's generation, and they're the big corporates and governments who are telling us the values that we should have and the way we should think and the way we should live. And the church is increasingly being seen in this woke culture is increasingly being seen as immoral. We are now being seen as immoral and unacceptable attitudes and behavior. So, and, and, and without you know, mentioning specific instances or issues, it's not hard to think too far to where you can see, you would be able to see that happening in our culture. That the views that we hold are actually being seen as being immoral and lacking in compassion. I, I um, <clears throat> appeared before a parliamentary hearing recently into voluntary assisted dying legislation. And some of the statements made by some members, um, absolutely appalling. They see, and, and we are categorised, you know, if you stand up against euthanasia, they see us as being holding to some, some lack, inhumane, lacking compassion, religious, ancient religious rule. That, that, see, that's the view. See, we don't understand that so much because we live within our world and understand the reality. But that's how the world increasingly sees us. So the challenge for us is, as I said earlier when talking about the COVID stuff, I believe... Isn't it funny? I think Jesus got it right. Uh, <laughs> what a thought. About being wise as serpents, harmless as doves. So, so one of the challenges we now face, I think, is summed up in a verse. Hebrews 11.8 says this. talks about, about Abraham. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. You're here today because you've been called. Called by God to go out to whatever it is you're called to. And it says, And he went out not knowing where he was going. Isn't that, that's, that's challenging. We now live with incredible uncertainty in our world. As I said, those of us here in Queensland, particularly regional Queensland, and I travel around a lot, you know, you go to Longreach and it's a little bit like, COVID, what's that? Uh, you know, 
other than checking in using the check-in app. Um, but, but the truth is that we now live in a world of unbelievable uncertainty about many things. And for leaders, and not just in church world, but leaders in business and, and so many areas of society, knowing how to lead, and it's like trying to lead when you don't know where you're going. Because like I said, it's like planning. How many of you have changed, had to change plans in the last, the last 12 months? And how many times? Sometimes I know people who've made plans, oh, change, uh, 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 constantly having to change plans. And the levels of uncertainty and the stress that causes, and, and you know, I talked to some of our pastors in Victoria, and this season has had mass, some people who, who are super positive, super faith, super you know, amazing, but they're feeling it. The impact. You know, in America, as churches have gone back, and again, you've got different scenarios in different states, um, <clears throat> but it's down sometimes as low as 50% of what was pre-COVID attendance. Now, I think in America it's different. I think there's a cultural sift out. I think cultural Christians have been sifted out. But even here in our own country, even here in our own state, um, how many of you know attendance patterns have changed? It's harder for churches to engage volunteers post the COVID lockdowns and we've only had short ones here. Um, mind you, can I just say that, as I said earlier, that's not just been caused by COVID. Attendance patterns in church in Australia were changing long before COVID, but that's accelerated it. And so we, we face some challenges. Now, if you've not been affected in that way, hallelujah, we rejoice with you. But many people, like I just heard the story of one of our pastors this week who, <coughs> excuse me, not over the lockdown issue, but recently lost numbers of significant families over here in his church. And they were at the top end in terms of business and profession and and high income and high givers has lost 30% of his income almost overnight because a number of families left over his failure to take a stand on the vaccination. So they were anti-vax, okay? So they've, they've left the church. So there's another wave of, which is not just about the lockdowns, but there's, there's more unrest coming through that issue. And I don't want to dig into that this morning. Um, you know, my, can I just say this? I think we need to be wise to separate matters essential to faith from matters that are political or so we just need to be smart around that stuff. So I, I said to someone the other day, um, I said, you know, if I was in Victoria right now, the truth is because I, I'm pretty patriotic about our country. I love democracy. I love the freedoms that we have and enjoy. And what I see, and sorry if you're a Chairman Dan fan, but uh, what I see Dan Andrews doing in Victoria is horrendous. And, um, and I would probably be tempted to be in the marts because I'm, I, but here's the thing, it's not gonna have anything about Jesus on, on my placard. That's separate to faith. Let me tell you, Western democracy is not a biblical construct. Now that comes as a surprise to some people. It's actually, I love our democracy. I love our structure, but it's not actually a biblical construct. 
It wasn't the era in which Jesus, out of which Jesus taught. In fact, do you want to be even more challenged around this stuff? And I've had to, I've wrestled through some of this over recent months. I mean, Jesus lived in an era that was under the most, one of the most repressive and brutal regimes, the Roman Empire. Yeah. It was brutal. And one of the great disappointments that many people had with Jesus is that he didn't take on the Roman Empire. In fact, he said, render unto Caesar. It's like, oh, my goodness. Now, there's a line, and we know Peter and John preached and were jailed, but, and there's a line, and I don't want really to dig too far into this today, but I just want to give a little bit of perspective because some of the stuff that gets posted, people put it all in one basket, and you've got to separate out the matters that are essential to faith from matters that are of social or political preference. Anyway, I'll down off my soapbox now. Um, <laughs> I think, though, that we, the challenge is that we, there's a sense in which we are being called to lead, and we are called to lead, when the world around us is changing so much and there's a sense in which we don't know where we're going. We're moving into what, and some of you may not be familiar with this terminology, we're moving into what is called a liminal season. L-I-M-I-N-A-L, liminal. Um, by the way, I mean, and I'll explain this in a moment. Um, we see so many opportunities. Let me just say this. There was a multi-phase research study done in the United States the end of last year. Um, so not just church, right across the communities. Um, and what it did, it assessed, it assessed sorry, uh, consumers' values and preferences. So what this, this research revealed was that pre-COVID, people responded to marketing that talked about success and influence and status, and that's what people responded to and wanted. But it changed almost overnight to people looking for safety and security and trust. And you know what? That's good news for us as the church. Because if ever there is a place on the planet that ought to be a place that's safe, a place that provides security, a place that where people can trust, it ought to be the church. So this actually plays into our ball into our ballpark. The opportunity for the church in the midst of darkness, I mean it's the old saying, as the darkness gets darker, the light gets lighter. The opportunity, because people are living with a sense of hopelessness and despair. You guys know, I mean, mental health issues in our nation are going through the roof. It's just unbelievable. God help us. And here's the deal, we can't do it without him. Because we're all human. Well, I know some of you aren't, but... Um, <laughs> so we're moving into a liminal season. And, and in this season at the moment, I want to tell you, one of the dangers, I think, of our assessment of this season we're in, uh, and particularly for pastors and leaders, is to the danger of defining this season, this era of ministry in terms of failure or loss, particularly in, you go to Victoria? Oh, man. And I think in church world, our definitions of success need to be reset. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't have time to drill into that. There's a, so a liminal season, liminal and liminality is taken originally from the, from the Latin and it was actually a stone that when you stepped from one space or area into another, there was like, it's like the threshold. So if you were going into the next building or the next room, there was a stone and it was called the limon. So limon was the place as you step, you were neither in that one or in that one, you were like in between, it was the space in between. So that's liminality. Limon, the limon, it's like the threshold. You've not yet left that, but you've not yet entered into that. I read this great, forgive me, this quote's not from the Bible, but in fact it was from a guy called Edmund, Ed Cutmull, who was the uh, <clears throat> with uh, Pixar Productions, Pixar Movies, you know the production company. And it's a great statement, he says this. There's a sweet spot between the known and the unknown where originality happens. The key is to be able to linger there without panicking. <laughs> That's a great statement. Oh, and how true that is. When it's, and I, and I love this thought. And let me say it one more time. There's a sweet spot between the known and the unknown. And I, I think that's where we, the church is. Like we've known what we've known for the past 40, 50, 60 years. By the way, can I just say, you know, the, the construct or the format of church as we know it and enjoy it has not always been this construct during church history. We, became, we love it. I, I love big Sundays. I love... So don't misunderstand me when I make these comments. I'm not against that by any means. But I do think that the attractional model that has served us incredibly well for the last 40 years, I think that's waning. I saw a statement the other day, which I, it kind of sums up, I'm not saying in, in literality, but the statement said something like, we've built church for the last 50 years, we've built church around the stage. Oh, sorry, the church has been built around the stage. Now it's going to be built around a table. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Because I can cite, and I, I wouldn't mention names, but I can cite churches who've been built largely just on Great Sundays. And I love Great Sundays. I'm a preacher. I love Great Sundays, okay? But if for whatever reason, COVID or whatever, and we can't have Great Sundays, is that the end of the church? No. And I can point to maybe a few examples, without mentioning names, of Churches have been largely built on Great Sundays, but now have, but didn't build community. Didn't build connection. And are now suffering massively. We're not post-COVID, but you know what I mean. So, again, I, I don't have any answers for you today. So I just want to leave, leave you with a sense of despair and hopelessness. No. <laughs> No, I want to get you to think. <laughs> I want to get you to think. Is that all right? Uh, I, my tempt I've got a thousand leadership sermons. Seriously. And I'm tempted, to, you know, when I come to these events to go, but I feel God's just stirring stuff in my heart to speak into leaders just to, to start to think. 
We need to be men and women who have understanding of the times and know what we should do, know what Israel should do. So let me just talk a little bit for a few minutes. We've got about another 10 minutes, Ross. Is that okay? Yeah. I only ask out of politeness. It really doesn't mean anything. Um, (laughs) So liminality or being in a liminal space refers to a quality of ambiguity or disorientation that occurs during transition. So it's when a person or a group of people to say is between something that maybe is ending and stepping into something that's not really yet quite clear. I think that's where the construct of the church. And again, let me just say, the message never changes. You heard me say it before. The essential ingredients and fundamentals of the church never change. But construct and model and connection and engagement, those things change because the world is changing. So, um, yeah, it means a threshold. And uh, by the way, that the modern use of that term really came about early 1900 by an anthropologist who called Arnold van Gennig, who, who Gennep, sorry, who um, uh, he he wrote a work, which in French was called Le, Le Rites de Passage. Okay, Le Rites de Passage. Australian you read it Les Rites de Passage. Okay, but in that he talked about rituals and communities. Where And so I'll give you one example. He talked about, so imagine a tribal setting where a young boy grows up and he's, what, 13 or whatever it might be, whatever age that tribe determines, and he's taken from his tribe and from his family and he's taken into the wilderness or into some extreme setting. He's disoriented from everything that he has known previously, and he goes through whatever rituals and sometimes some painful uh, initiation or whatever it might be, and then when he's been through that, he comes back into the tribe with a different status. That period is liminality. Now, I want to suggest to you that God works most in liminality. Let me, let me just give you a couple of, couple of examples. Um, if you think about it, Jesus, the beginning of his ministry was birthed in a liminal season. So he's grown up, he gets baptised, awesome moment, this is my beloved son, and then for 40 days he goes into the wilderness where he's tried, he's tempted, he's tested, and he comes back. In a different, at a different level. Periods of liminality are almost biblical. Well, they are biblical. Um, talking with Ross and Merritt, we were talking about the journey of life over dinner last night, and and I remember well their season before they came to this church, and they had a few years of liminality. It was a liminal season, but it was during that liminal season that in between, it's like you're neither in, you're neither, you're like it's this uncertain season. That was where God worked incredible stuff in you that set you up for the amazing season that you've had. God brings transformation in seasons of liminality. God brings change 
So the absence, so if we go back to the tribal example, the absence of identity, the young boy loses his identity that he's had. But it makes room for an inner transformation, an entry back into a new social order when he returns. And so truth is that even in church life and organisational life, it's full of liminal experiences. Seasons when something has finished and ended, but a new thing has maybe not yet begun, where we're not quite sure what it should look like. And those moments, those seasons are incredibly challenging and can be disorienting and, and unsettling. And leaders can lose their way and lose heart and lose passion and even quit. We strive to move forward because in our nature as leaders, as you know, with a sense of certainty and purpose, but it's difficult and instead feel like we're trudging through mud <laughs> with this uncertainty towards something that we're not sure. And, and I think, and again, I say this just to help us get a handle on not to be too rattled by that season because there's something new emerging. There's something good coming. We might not see it all and, or what it will look like, but all we know is that God is about to move in our nation, in our world, and God wants to do something and pour out his spirit to touch our community and touch hurting and broken people. Um, a whole lot of things, even, even during this COVID thing, staffing structures have changed in a lot of churches. Um, so even larger churches, I've known larger churches have let certain staff, had to let certain staff go and they have engaged people in the digital space. Um, things change to reorient to a new era. Um, and we've got to, as leaders, we've got to keep moving forward even though maybe the end point feels a bit fuzzy for us. But the, but the Christian story, the Bible story is filled with what we call liminal experiences. Um, Noah endures the flood and he spends this time, this liminal experience in an ark. Think about it. Um, Joseph is thrown into a pit and it signifies the end to his, I think, somewhat smug identity as the favourite son. <laughs> and he, is, he has this liminal experience for some years where he's an indentured servant and he ends up in jail, but his identity is altered and he new identity is as a dream interpreter and as a royal advisor and eventually redeemer of God's people. And I could cite story after story through scripture. God works with liminality. So it's, it's interesting when you think about it, I mean... It, the Christian journey and story itself is an invitation into this liminality, this sense of uncertainty. We're stepping out of something, but we're not yet into the fulfillment of everything that we know is happening. Yeah, yeah. So you think about it in this term, that the, the reign of Christ, the reign of God, is already being inaugurated in Jesus. But how many of you know it's not yet complete? And we embrace an understanding in our lives around eternity um, that there's a sense in which our eternal lives are, we're in this still this liminal space. We're in between. Yeah. 
It's still suspended until the return of Christ almost. And we've been redeemed, but the fulfillment of that redemption will not be complete yet until the time comes when Jesus returns. So our our theology even frames this kind of thinking. Let me just read, and I'll I'll finish in five minutes, but Franciscan father and author Richard Rower wrote, about God's use of liminal experiences. I want to read this paragraph to you. All transformation takes place here. We have to allow ourselves to be drawn out of business as usual and remain patiently on the threshold, the limen, where we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. There alone is our, is our old world left behind and we are not yet sure of the new existence. That's a good space where genuine newness can begin. Get there often and stay as long as you can by whatever means possible. It's the realm where God can best get at us because of our false certitudes, because our false certitudes are finally out of the way. Wow. <laughs> This is the sacred space where old, our old world is able to fall apart. That's scary. Wow. And a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, we start idealing normalcy. We start idealizing normalcy. And we do. <laughs> we, we do. The threshold is God's waiting room. Here we are taught openness and patience as we come to expect an appointment with the divine doctor. Wow. Let me give you one more example of a liminal space just to help embed that sort of understanding. So an airport is a liminal space. So I travel a lot. And um, how many of you know an airport is never your destination? So you're all packed up. Oh, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to the airport. People don't say, so, so how long are you staying? <laughs> no, 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 because it's vital. It's a point of connection to the destination. It's the between where you've been and where you're going. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing. When I'm in an airport, and I'm sure for, for many of you, my behaviour changes. It's somewhat different. So when I go through security and whatever, I'm heading you know, to the Qantas Lounge or wherever it might be, I, I walk more quickly in the airport. I'm like, it's like I, I don't engage with people very often. How many of you have ever sat in a plane beside someone for five hours and never talked to them? Isn't it funny? It's stuff that you wouldn't normally do. Sometimes I do. I, sometimes I get into a flight recently to Hobart and... Um, Got talking to a lady who was a doctor. We had this great conversation. She was going down with <clears throat> five girlfriends. She was a lady about 60. They were spending a few days in Hobart and whatever. Funny thing was, on the way back, I'm sitting beside another one of her friends who'd just done the journey. <laughs> but I don't often, like often you just, yeah. when you're in that liminal space, like we behave differently, we think differently. We're, and, and we are, the challenging thing in that liminal space is that a lot of stuff's out of our control. Oh, they've changed the flight time. Okay. I, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> I'd like to. And when we're in these liminal spaces, 
there's so much that sometimes seems out of our control. And that's really challenging, but I want to tell you, that's the space where God can speak. It's the time when we are uncertain, and I love that thought that Roy said about, about God dismantles our false certitudes. So let me, um, let me say, I think it's time to rethink and reinvent if, and we can't do this, it's really hard because we know what we know. Um, I think there's incredible opportunities for the church moving forward. Yeah. I personally think that community engagement, whatever that looks like in different settings, there's no one model or one you know, thing of what that looks like. I think that is increasingly important. Um, I had that highlighted to me some years ago. I was pastoring on the Gold Coast. We had a second campus at Eagleby. We ran a huge community care organisation. Uh, <clears throat> some of you still know it, and I know uh, Dave and their church works with Twin Rivers. So I was pastor of that church. We had an arson attack, burned our facilities to the ground. We were, we were feeding 750 families a week. They now do like 350 a day. Um, <clears throat> But I remember the morning that uh, we're standing there, it was a sun, 6 a.m. Sunday morning, the fire is uh, dampening down the smouldering remains. And we've got people on the street beside us who never been in church but who are crying. What will we do? I've never had so many media interviews in my life. The next 48 hours, I had media, radio and TV. And he, but here was the amazing thing. Out of all that... In the ensuing four weeks, we received $100,000 from the broader community, from businesses in Brisbane and 50000 in cash and about 50000 in kind, product and whatever. Like $100,000. I've got to tell you, if we were just a little church having a meeting in our building down the corner of the road on a Sunday, it would never have happened. But because we were ministering into our community, we were helping people. It just changed the whole response of the community. Now, that church, that community, that organisation is just going gangbusters. So, <clears throat> as I draw to a close, this is my second close. I have one more. <laughs> I like what uh, Ross said this morning, quoting from that book, Spiritual Intelligence. Um, <clears throat> we need, you know, we, we need intelligence. Some of you, that could be a quest for this coming time. Um, no. <laughs> but we, we need, you know, EQ, we talk about IQ, and we talk about EQ. I love that thought of SQ, which I really believe as leaders we need. And the other one, by the way, I, I've read about is a new one they've termed AQ, which is adaptability quotient or intelligence. Adaptability, good leaders moving forward need to learn to become good adapters. And that's become very evident in the last 18 months. Like, you've got to be able to handle change because it's happening at an ever-increasing rate. Um, <clears throat> by the way, just, just to give you a few, a few uh, thoughts about change, you know they say 
Sociologists are saying that by the year 2035, so 14, 15 years away, the amount of change that happens every six to 12 months by the year 2035 will be equivalent to all the change that happened in the 20th century. Wow. So you think about the 20th century, cars, flight, you know, technology, all the technology. I mean, you think about all the change that happened last century. They say that, and, and if you think about it, you can, it's not hard to imagine the amount of change that's happening. There's thought that the, the generation of kids being born now will probably be the last generation that will ever have a driver's license. Because, now, because Queensland and Australia is so big, that may be longer here because of, but you go to many countries, the technology has changed, driverless vehicles. Like, not taking my license. <laughs> but to think that you might not need one. <laughs> I mean, it's just driverless vehicles. I mean, it's just, just crazy. Um, here's the challenge for us. Few things are more addictive than the past. Few things are more addictive than the past. I think that the church, this is the opportunity in this liminal season to rethink, not be afraid to think it so that if, if Jesus came today and said, I'm starting this thing called the church, but here we are, we've already got incredible resources and we've got people and we've got teams. If we were starting from scratch without any knowledge of what we've done before, but we've got the mission and the mandate, and how would we do it? Interesting thought. Zero, zero gravity thinking to think without the gravitational pull of the past of everything we've known. Now, that's really hard to think out yeah. like that. But I just challenge you that I, I think we need to be able to try and think a little more outside the box. We need to understand the times in which we live without it being a criticism. You know, many of our mainline denominations are declining at an incredibly rapid rate. Why? They fail to engage the younger generation. And we're always only one generation away from extinction. So my challenge and encouragement to you is that let's become, if I use another passage of scripture about new wineskins. How many of you know Jesus has got some new wine to pour out? Yeah. <clears throat> but we need to be new wineskins. Old wineskins lost their flexibility. That, that was the issue. You know, new wineskins, you know, the, the hide had been tanned. It had flexibility and stretch. So as the wine fermented and bubbled, it could stretch and grow with the, the change. When wineskins became old, they lost the flexibility, and that's why Jesus said they burst, they can't contain the new wine. There was one way that wineskins could be restored, and that was you, put, you took oil and you rubbed oil, painstakingly rubbed oil into them to restore the flexibility. And let me just suggest to you that oil is a really good symbol there. How many of you know we maybe need fresh application of the Holy Spirit? 
to renew our wineskins, the wineskins of our thinking and our, and our structures so that we, we can move forward and, and let the church be, be all that God wants it to be in this season moving ahead. And don't be scared, don't be frightened of the liminal space where we're kind of, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Hey, that's okay. That's the moment of creation and originality and ideas and revelation in that space. Because while you hang on to everything that has been normal, there's little room for anything new. Why don't we stand and pray? How's your wineskins today? Stretched. Stretched. <laughs> why, why don't we just, in this moment, just lift our hearts, if you want to lift your hands to God. Say, oh God, we pray today that you would indeed just come and apply your spirit afresh to our hearts, to our thinking. God, forgive us when we make normal those things that ought to be changeable. Where we become rigid around... Whatever things were, God, give us revelation, give us wisdom in the days that lie ahead. Help us to be like the man of Issachar who understand the times, regardless of whether we like the times, regardless of whether we agree with the times, but they are the times. And your word, your gospel, your message, your love is meant to interact with this culture, this world. Help us. Help us, Lord. For those of us that may feel we're in a liminal season like we're leading, but we don't know where we're going. God, I pray, help us to lean into you. <laughs> you might give fresh revelation and strategy and ideas. and We just want to open ourselves to you. Give us fresh creativity. Help us never to lose the wonderment of you and your truth and your life. God, today now I pray your blessing, your touch upon each and every person in this place today as we enjoy fellowship and as we go back to our various places. Pray for a great day tomorrow in every church in this region. Let lives be touched. But God, help us, I pray, to be better and more effective leaders in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.baysidechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Bayside Christian Church.